episode of unwise girls your favorite podcast all about currently and for the last time rick riordan's uh second percy jackson and the olympians book the sea of monsters how are you doing today my good friend who is i forgot how to intro the show uh what's your name it's okay you're doing great hello i'm jane i'm doing okay today thank you very much I guess people probably know our names by now. I'm Jacqueline. Uh, I mean, people can jump on whatever. I guess so. We we do our best to be perfectly readable no matter what episode you start on. I'm sure. Uh, if this is your first episode of Unwise Girls, you should probably just go back to the first one. Otherwise, nothing we talk about will make sense. I don't... Yeah, and now we're... And speaking of being perfectly comprehensible, no matter how much you've listened to before, uh, let's start our segment, Percy Jackson has not says hat. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Okay, uh, we finished the book, folks. We did it. We finished another children's book. Yeah, I'm pretty impressed with myself. So we don't have any news this week, really. So how about yeah, we just get really right? Happened. Yeah, how about we just get right to the summaries? Hell yeah! Chapter eighteen: The Party Ponies Invade. Before Luke can escape, Percy baits him into a fight, which Luke quickly wins. Before he can kill Percy, Chiron and his centaur brethren swoop in to save the day and rescue the kids. At their centaur trailer park, as Tyson plays with the, for- with the horsies, Percy and Chiron discuss the future. Percy believes the Fates' prophecy from last year means he'll die on his 16th birthday, and he's despairing about this, but Chiron tells him that though he is, as a demigod, in constant danger from both the mortal and immortal, he has to keep struggling and fighting. Percy then questions why Mr. D thought Chiron would betray the camp, and Chiron reveals the truth. Kronos is his father. Chapter 19. The chariot race ends with a bang. The centaurs deliver the gang to Long Island, where everyone is gathered on Half-Blood Hill over the devastated camp. Clarice wraps the golden fleece around Thalia's tree, and the camp begins healing. Clarice's victory is celebrated, and Annabeth and Percy sneaking out of camp is ignored. Everything else back to normal, except the chariot races, which Chiron lets go ahead. The gang all work together this time in the chariot, but the night before the race, Hermes visits Percy, and they have a conversation about godly parental responsibility and feelings of abandonment. He also gives Percy a letter from Poseidon, which has two words printed on it. Brace yourself. The next morning, as they prepare... Tyson gives Percy a special wristwatch for emergencies, and reveals that he had prayed to Poseidon for a friend shortly before meeting Percy. The chariot race is intense, and Hephaestus' captain almost wins with the use of explosive Greek fire, but Percy activates the watch, which turns into a shield and protects them from the explosion. Annabeth and Percy win, and they declare together that they couldn't have won or survived their quest without the help of Tyson, Percy's baby brother. Chapter 20 The Fleece Works Its Magic Too Well the afternoon after the race, everything is great. Grover has been granted a two-month furlough before he resumes his quest as well as a new set of reed pipes, and Percy decides they should keep their empathy link. Chiron manipulates the mist to get Percy out of legal trouble for the Meriwether Prep gym explosion, and he gets to talk to his mom again. Tyson is treated like a hero by the camp, and he reveals to Percy he was offered an internship in the Cyclops Forges by Poseidon. He's going to make weapons for the upcoming war. The brothers say a tearful goodbye, and Tyson leaves on the back of Rainbow. That night, Percy dreams. Kronos, taunting him. Poseidon on his throne, repeating the message. Brace yourself. Grover wakes Percy suddenly, and they rush to Half-Blood Hill. Something has happened. A girl is lying on the hill, unconscious, and Annabeth sits over her, protective. Percy realizes who she is as she regains consciousness. The fleece worked too well. Kronos' trap worked. And Thalia, daughter of Zeus, lives. So, what did you think of these last chapters and the Sea of Monsters as a whole? Uh, the, the chapters they 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 start strong and they end strong. I'll say that. Uh, like like with the party ponies, you like that part? No, no, I did not. 
Oh, so you mean the very... Okay, I agree with you. I like the very beginning of the, of uh, chapter 18 when Percy and Luke have a sword fight. That's yes. good. Yeah, this is like... This is the moment where I was thinking, oh, okay, this is why the final confrontation with Polyphemus was a bit of a wet fart, because this is where the real conclusion to this story is. Yeah, you know, because it's a really well described... Like, it, it's not... I think it's less like, oh, it's got cool descriptions of their sword play... What it is is that like, it's just the emotional stakes that we're, we're kind of talking about, and yeah, it's what we know. It's what it's what we know about these characters like established paying off. Uh, Luke is a better sword fighter than Percy. We know that, and so we when we see Percy just get squashed, it's it's like yeah, that makes a lot of sense, and it's kind of narratively satisfying. Yeah, it it feels like the stakes are really high as well because like. You expect it to be this final epic duel, but Luke knows exactly how to beat Percy. He's keeping him away from the water. He very easily takes a chunk out of his leg because he is, as you said, he's like he's better, he's more experienced, and he knows Percy. Yeah, and it's it it, it really like makes you think. I'm glad that we got to have this like cool, intense final confrontation, and we got to let it just sit on its own, and we got to, like... <laughs> and, and and then the party ponies invade. Fuckers. I, I kind of, like... Because this first chapter was just, like, a... It, nothing happened, so I kind of just flew over it, by and large, in the summary. Uh, how would you describe the party ponies? Uh, the kid gloves coming on, is how I'd summarize it very, very shortly. I don't want Percy to die, right? Mm-hmm. But like, it feels like Chiron and his brothers, all his funny brothers, all come in to save him. And, well, when you say kid gloves, are you are you speaking to the fact that like this is very much like these are funny kid humor like characters? Or are you speaking to the fact that like Percy was about to die and then he didn't? I'm speaking about the fact that there are gloves on the arrows that they shoot. <laughs> Yeah, but also that's, the first that's... thing you said, it it takes all the stakes out of the fight, and it just becomes like so much less intense. Yeah, I I'm really sad about this because I like this a lot, and then I'm not like mad. I'm kind of mad. Uh, I am mad. I wish this had been. I I wish like maybe I don't know if I wish Percy had been able to like win the fight. Um. But I think they're, and I don't necessarily want to be like, here's how I would have written it, because mm-hmm. I don't know, I, I didn't write these books. But like, uh, I feel like there are so many more interesting methods than like, and then the the centaurs sweep in and they save everyone. The, th- the thing is that like, Percy had to get saved because he was no match for Luke and it establishes Luke as a threat, right? Yeah, yeah. And it does that really effectively. But then it goes back and it undercuts itself by having... Like, there was no way that Percy was going to get out without being saved by an outside force. But the specific way he's saved and, like, the comical way it happens really undercuts everything that's been built up in this chapter. Why wasn't it Annabeth? God, it should have been Annabeth. If Annabeth had come in and, like, like she used her experience and her knowledge of, like, I don't know, how, I don't, she she escapes somehow, she comes in, and this is me totally rewriting the book at this point, I don't uh-huh. care. She comes in, she uses her experience with Luke and, like, her, like, just more experience at camp with training. Mm-hmm. And she saves, maybe she doesn't defeat him in a sword fight, but she, like, just, like, saves Percy. That would have been awesome. It would have been, I guess, I guess what you could say is, like, the conceit of this fight, like, the reason it's happening is because they're about to get, like, massacred. And Percy is saying, okay, one-on-one duel to try and delay that slightly. Right, right. So if Annabeth kind of breaks that um, that kind of honor rule, then they just immediately get executed by all the goons surrounding them. Right. I'm, but I, I, I agree with you. I think there should have been some way for Annabeth to intervene. I think it would have been... I just think it would have been cooler... I mean, okay, I'm even fine with it being the centaurs. I think it would have been cooler <laughs> if the centaurs were cool. Yeah, I, I think this is possibly one of the first um, incidents we've really had in these books of the comedy not enhancing what's going on, but actually like actively damaging it. 
And I'm even fine with them being like silly frat bros. Mm -hmm. But I don't think that should have been what was emphasized here necessarily. Yeah, it could have maybe been like, this is the serious side of the frat bro centaurs, and this is why they're not as worthless as Chiron says they are. I would have loved that, because... Because, like, we get the picture of them beforehand, and they're at a rave, and we get a mm-hmm. picture of them after, and they're, like, they live in a trailer park, and they're, like, smashing their foreheads together, like, yeah. crushing cans and all that stuff. And that's fun. Like, that's kind of a fun idea, like, the the dude bro centaurs. Yeah. But, like, if they had come in and, like, like a, a, a like a... a a hail of arrow fire comes over and like they you know i don't know they do something cool it would have been good i I mean they don't even need you don't even need to be like oh they have paintball guns and boxing glove arrows to make sure they don't kill anyone because they're not here to kill people it's like a smash and grab to get percy annabeth tyson and grover and just get out yeah I I'm I'm just not sure it feels like such a misstep. Yeah, it really does. And the when we get back to that trailer park, it's not that much better. Like okay, first of all, Chiron. Mm-hmm. He's so he's like the boring yeah, everybody's got that boring cousin. He really is. The one who just completely sucks. And I don't if you if you don't have a boring cousin maybe look deep inside <laughs> yourself maybe you need to make sure that you have a boring cousin or else you are going to become the boring cousin. I think that like he gives Percy the speech it's like oh you're you know the the, the civil war hero said the very much same thing to me before when I trained him and look at him he'd saved the the, the he'd changed the course of the civil war i i did a bit of a double take when i read that cuz i was kind of skim reading at this point in the chapter cuz it's bad uh-huh. uh and i thought for a second that he'd said oh that's what neville chamberlain said to me before he changed the course of world war 2 what what and, in like, the you're, world you're not you're not wrong about that. He did change the course of World War Two by being bad at war and doing appeasement. So, okay, no, what he actually said <laughs> was Joshua Lawrence Chamberlain. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is a reference for all the middle school kids learning, like, the mid-level details about the Civil War. Uh-huh, I see. Yeah. Oh, God. I, and, like, the, his inspirational speech is probably, like, what do you think of it? It doesn't really do anything for me. I don't feel like it ties into anything thematically. Like he's just explaining what demigods are with slightly flowery language, with a slight undertone of barbarians at the gates rhetoric at the end there. On one hand, I think that Percy has been like becoming more despondent throughout this book. I think he's like he did need like someone to talk to him and like mm-hmm. I don't know if the inspirational speech is what he needed, even though it does kind of like appeal to like where he's coming from a little bit uh i see yeah but i don't know if i think the problem is that i wish chiron was more established as a mentor yeah i that's and that that also ties into like the reveal ish that he's chronos's son that means nothing to me yeah because I, we, he's only been around for one book. I don't think this reveal needed to happen in this book. Mm-hmm. I, I'm okay. So the big final twist, and I, I, I like this twist. I like this twist quite a bit. It's very strong. It's, and I think it's very strong. But what happens is that Thalia is revived from her tree. I have a lot of good things to say about that when we get to it. I think when we're comparing this twist and that twist, yeah. What what comes up is that like, I ca- I kind of care about Thalia coming back because, <laughs> b- b- I I say that kind of like flippantly I guess but I I say that because like I care about it because Annabeth because we've we've like the way that like the tree dying and like how like we've been seeing Thalia in Percy's dreams that's kind of interesting like there's a lot we, we Thalia is very well established as a character insofar as the effect she's had on other people so yeah we're, we're of, emotionally invested in people that she is like involved with yeah and because of that we care I we need more from Chiron 
Because, like, he gets sent off at the start of this book, but it's not even, like, much of a fall from grace or anything like that. It doesn't really, like, make him very sympathetic. He just goes to live with his cousins. And that detail is... I think that detail didn't even need to... It was good in this book because it established that the camp is falling to shit, right? Mm -hmm. And for that reason, I think it could have stood on its own. I don't think we needed... I think, like, maybe there was a little... There could have been a little bit where it was like, uh, Chiron, why didn't Mr. D trust you? And Chiron's like, well, that's a story for another day or something. Like, I don't... I feel like... Because we already got Luke hinting that he has, like, quote-unquote skeletons in his closet. Yeah, I think that's all we needed. I think so. I I just don't... It feels like it, he... like. I feel like the book's hand, the series hand, was, like, kind of played early. Yeah, Chiron's, like, he's kind of in this weird middle ground where he's not, like, he's not so beloved a character and so important to everyone else that this is, like, devastating for them to learn. And he's not, like, he's not shady enough that we would actually think, oh, maybe him being related to Kronos is actually something. Yeah, I just don't care. Yeah... And then, okay, I, I think what this, what these chapters do well, though, I think overall this is a, fa- a fairly solid ending. I think the main problem is that, like, the book was like, kind of colored pretty negatively at first for us. Oh, absolutely. That's, well, I don't know, because we've, we've been pretty generous to it when it's hit, had some good spots, and it's had some really good spots. I, I just think if it had jumped off better than it could have, like... Mm, I'm not sure, though. I Because the, that, that part was, like, the Tyson stuff. And I think I'm, I'm basically satisfied with, like, the Tyson arc we got in this book. Yeah, I think that's, that's something that's improved dramatically as it's gone. Yeah, and, like... Uh, well, okay, so... Um, this is... It's kind of interesting that we, like... Tyson... I like this. I like this. I like that Percy, like, publicly accepts, like, declares, like, Tyson is my baby brother. I care about him. He helped us so much. He's part of the team. It's all, it's very good. And then he gets celebrated by, like, at camp, like, a hero. I like that. I actually, Um, I really especially love that part because it's, like, it's almost like a parallel to, um, like, Poseidon claiming Tyson as his son. Yeah. And Percy doing, like, the same thing and acknowledging that Tyson's part of his family is really nice. Right, right. I like it a lot. And then we learn at the end that Tyson has uh, received an internship offer from Poseidon to uh, go work in the Cyclopes Forges. Yeah. What do you think of that? Uh, I mean, I think it's, I think it's just, like, a nice development for him. He's kind of, he's yeah. run his course in this book. There's not a lot to be done with him sticking around and i think it'd be interesting to have like to maybe have like percy go and visit him in the underwater palace at some point it opens up like some new opportunities for the series i I, that's true i there's something we learn about cyclopes here is that like they're sent out to live on the streets as like babies oh i don't like this bit actually (laughs) it's really weird it's they say that like Tyson tells Percy that, like, they have to learn to, like, fight for themselves in the streets or whatever. I don't... I don't get it. Makes us appreciate blessings, not be greedy and mean and fat like Polyphemus. So, how was Polyphemus brought up? Yeah, because it sure does just seem like he was dumped on an island. I... was he, like... was he doted... did he have, like... What's the thesis of the series? Is it the, like, I don't get, I kind of don't understand what this series is trying to say about family. Yeah, I, do, do we want to, do we want to talk about uh, the Hermes bit in that case? Because that's where, that's where we get a lot of what the series is saying that we are desperately trying to pass. Let's, let's, yeah, let's synthesize this a bit. Tell us a bit about the Hermes stuff. But like the, is it the night before or after the race? Just so I can find it in the It's book. the night before the race. The night before the race, um, Percy is like cleaning up in the stables, and Hermes shows up, and they have a discussion about like uh, Percy's failed attempt to bring Luke back to the light side, and then Hermes asks Percy if like he thinks that Poseidon has abandoned him, 
and Percy doesn't mm-hmm. answer, and Hermes does like this whole spiel about like, well, we can't do too much for our kids because otherwise that just causes more strife in the long run. But we can't, you know, we still have to do a little bit for them, otherwise that'd be shitty. And he basically yeah. he says what the the god entity thing from Futurama says. Okay, I don't think this is trying to say that like parents like parents shouldn't like take a, like I don't think this is trying to say anything about like how parents should be necessarily mm-hmm. because we get the counter of that from Sally, right? Absolutely. She she's deeply invested in like how Percy grows up. She cares about him a lot. Uh, she wants him just to have a good life. Uh, she wants him to be safe. And she's she's there for him in that way. Yeah. Um, I, I'm trying... I just... I'm not sure what... I think the Tyson stuff just is like... I guess it's like supposed to show Poseidon taking like more of an interest in him. Like outright. Because we also learn that like Poseidon delivered Percy to him kind of. Or the other way around I suppose. Uh huh. I think I think maybe the problem is that like the the ideas about parenting are having to get mixed up in kind of a weird God moves in mysterious ways thing because they are gods, and so I think that that's why it might come out seeming a bit muddled. It's cool to see like the godly perspective on parenting, but it feels like we already kind of know it. I don't know. I I kind of think this is a a slight development for the worse how so how so i i liked that in the lightning thief to like the gods were just dicks who were too busy ruining other people's lives to actually look after their kids like yeah and like the only reason poseidon is really helping percy is to save his own neck and not get murdered by zeus that's true i like, I just think narratively that was more interesting and it also played into like Percy's thing about not liking being bullied by them. I don't know if that's how Poseidon was supposed to come off though in the end of the Playing Thief. I don't know if I agree with that. Well, I, I guess, yeah, I guess you're right actually. I guess, I suppose this book even uh, like takes the ambiguity out of that because Poseidon wasn't acting directly to save his own neck this time and he still gave Percy some help. Yeah. I I don't think it's supposed to be some big message about parenting or anything. It's just like I'm I'm trying to feel out the shape of what themes are developing. You know what I mean? It's kind of like I'm not sure. It's kind of weird to have like a whole like you know lonely like extended dialogue scene with a god and also not be able to glean anything significant about the themes from it. That's kind of weird. Yeah, and maybe that's my fault. Maybe that's my fault. <laughs> you know. No, no, I'm agreeing with you. This, I am also struggling with that. Yeah. Uh, what do you think of the chariot races? Uh, they're fine, I guess. Uh huh. Kind of just the same thing. The, it's the same thing. The other campers haven't been developed enough for me to really care about them. Yeah. Give it a book. Give it a few books, I guess. I guess so. I mean. I don't know, because, like, Capture the Flag in book one, we'd already had all the characters who we needed to know for that developed. Yeah. Like, we knew Clarice, we knew Annabeth, we knew Luke, and the scene was structured in such a way that we only had to know about those characters for it to work. But in this one, there's there's even a character who Percy remarks that he doesn't know his name. That's, that is very funny. I, I feel like... The major players in the chariot race are uh, the like the Stoll brothers and like Charles Beckendorf, mm-hmm. and we kind of got a little bit. But the Stoll brothers, they're kind of like more traditionally Hermesy than Luke was. Like they're kind of impish. A little bit. I think we mostly get that just from their description rather than anything they do. Yeah. Um, Beckendorf has had a little bit of characterization. We know that he was one of the few people that wasn't a dick to Tyson, but that's not a lot to go on. It's, uh, but I guess it's about the same amount that we got with Clarice, though. I suppose. Uh, yeah, I don't necessarily have a problem with it. I, I think it was a fun read. Like it was a fun little thing to read. Um, I think it it worked as payoff for like another 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 part of Tyson's arc. I got or you know. Actually, that that is like one thing that I really liked about the chariot race. 
mm-hmm. was it kind of it, it confirmed like textually like how how much having a brother is helpful to Percy. Yeah. Because we see like during his fight with Luke, it's specifically noted that like he doesn't have a shield and that's one of the reasons he gets like steamrolled. And then, you know, Tyson is able to make him this really awesome shield, which helps them not get exploded by Greek fire. And it's, you know, it's fun that we got the little, like, oh, Tyson's been tinkering with something the whole, the whole, uh, yeah. book. And then we finally get, see what it is. I like that. I like that. I like that we get the emotional moment too. And Percy realized that it has like the, the, like the, the car, what were they called? I guess not carvings, but like the, their images of their adventure, like on the shield. Yeah, that's sweet. Yeah, I like it. I like I I basically like the whole uh, Tyson departure scene. I feel like it's pretty well done emotionally. Oh yeah, that that made me sad. This this may have ended up being my favorite my favorite part of the book, like the Tyson stuff. Yeah, I yeah, I think I'm not a hundred percent certain I agree with you, but I can definitely see where you're coming from. Uh I'm not sure. Just like I I tried to think of other things. I'm like. Like the main quest was fine. I'm not sure. I guess like the Thalia stuff was pretty good. I think Cl- Clarice. The Clarice is probably, Clarice. probably my favorite part of this book. Yeah, I I can agree with that. I kind of want to talk about um, Grover posting NSFW on general. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so uh, ex- explain your words and deeds. Uh, at the start of chapter twenty. Uh huh. Um, Percy refers to Grover as G-Man. Uh-huh. Which, have you not seen those memes where it's just the G-Man from Half-Life going, I am going to post NSFW on General. You were making a, a meme reference. No, I haven't seen I those. <laughs> I haven't seen those. I'm sorry. You're, They're horrible. You're, uh, do you have anything to say about Grover? Uh, he he leaves this book as he went into it. A cameo role. <laughs> That's true. Uh, I kind of want to talk more about Annabeth. Every time we talk about Grover, I I instead want to talk about Annabeth because she's she's much more interesting. So in this book, yep, she didn't get anything. Uh... She didn't really have an ending to like. She didn't really have, like, a... She didn't have her own scene. Like, Grover got a final scene. Tyson got a final scene. Annabeth didn't really have a final scene. Uh, I think that the bones of one are there, but, like... We we lose out on it to get, like, the shock value of, oh my god, Talia is back. Ah, uh, yeah, I... And I, I, I like... I think we could have had it with the them building the chariot and i like that that wrapped back around and we got to see them like come mm-hmm. back together for that i wish there'd been like maybe a conversation or something like that to actually make it feel more fulfilling yeah i mean she doesn't get anything to do against luke either i mean we've, yeah. we've gone over this but even outside of like a fight perspective she has like so much more history and investment in luke than percy does and she basically doesn't get to do anything before being whisked away by the centaurs. I wish I wish Annabeth had challenged Luke. God, please. I I know that Percy's our hero, mm-hmm. but I think it would have made sense for her like character to challenge Luke. Like that would have been like that would have been an arc. That would have been like that would have made this like book like. Annabeth reflecting on her feelings about like what she's been through, who she was through it with, and who those people are now, and like that would have I'm... had two different payoffs: the one where Thalia comes back, the one where Luke comes, and the one where she challenges Luke. And I think it would have also like built into like a theme that's slowly emerging for Percy as well, which is that like he's not the center of the universe. Where we get we get like three examples of that in very quick succession, where we get like. Clarice being celebrated as the hero who completed the quest. Tyson revealing that like him meeting Percy was the result of Tyson like praying for something and taking action on something and not anything to do with Percy. Yeah. And then Talia coming back and it 
turning out, oh, right, there could be another person who fulfills the prophecy. Yeah. So Annabeth having the final confrontation with Luke would have like played into that. I just don't... It, it feels like Percy's already had his like moment of failure. Yeah. He didn't necessarily need to, lo- to be in that battle and lose it. Uh, maybe he did. I don't know. I... I just don't... The, these chapters feel so devoid of meaning. It feels I, I, very... It feels like a rushed ending, I think. Kai, this was a shorter it's, book, right? By a hundred pages. I, I I wonder if it could have benefited from those extra hundred pages. Well, that's that's kind of something I, I was thinking about. I I wonder how rushed this book was. Well, let's, let's, let's do a little bit of checking. Let's 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 do some googling. Mm-hmm. The Sea of Monsters came out in 2006. I'm pretty sure the Lightning Thief came out in 2005. Yeah. This is a this is a 279 page book. Uh, I and I know Rick Riordan is like a monster of write like he writes so much so constantly. Mm-hmm. Like, so you know maybe it was easy and snappy for him to pull out a new book, but. Uh, maybe he needed, like, a little bit longer than a year. Well, it kind of, it reminded me of, I, I, you'll know what I'm talking about, um, I think it's in the Super Eyepatch Wolf video on, like, The Fall of Bleach, like, the uh-huh. second one he did. Yeah. Where he talks about, like, how promising manga can fall apart, where, like, you do the first chapter and you spent weeks on it and you've crafted everything really well. Right. And then you have to turn around the second chapter in a week. And so it's much sloppier, and you fall, find yourself falling back on tropes and not paying attention to the character arcs. And I kind of wonder if that's what happened with this book. I could be right. I mean, I've I've never written all of a book before. I've written some of a book, but not all of mm-hmm. a book. It's like a like a un, like a sub three hundred book in a year doesn't seem that bad. I mean, like it doesn't seem that bad compared to like what could have been. I guess. Yeah. I. I'm not. I'm just not sure. Um, like this is this, this is a like a fine, okay book, but it does just feel like a sloppier, shorter Lightning Thief. And I I question the idea that it being longer would have helped though, because uh-huh. I I think the problem is that just a lot of the focus was mishandled. That's that's very true. And I. I can't imagine like adding more fluff would have, or like not fluff, but like adding more content would have necessarily like. I can't think like what needed more in this book, and I'm like, I'm not sure. I don't I think, think. I think the on. the ending needed more. Like Mm-mm. the the party ponies showing up and the centaurs suddenly having the ability to travel like huge distances overnight. That feels like Rick trying to wrap things up as quickly as possible. Because I think, as much as it sounds like a cinema sinsy criticism, it does kind of raise the question of, like, why didn't Chiron just chuck Percy on his back in book one, run over to LA in half an hour, and sort everything out with Hades that way? That's not a terrible question. Uh, It does kind of feel like we are getting a glut of, like, ways you can go really fast, and... Like, like we got the super fast taxi. We got the super fast centaurs. We got that's true. <laughs> there's a lot of stuff in this book that just goes the super real fast, fast. Cruise liner. Oh, the super fast cruise liner. There's so much fast stuff in this book. Maybe we just maybe we did just need to take it slow. <laughs> I think a lot of the really good like a real like a lot of the scenes that we pointed out is having like more emotional depth and stuff. Could have maybe benefited from like being stretched out across multiple chapters rather than just being contained to one. Mm-hmm. And so I also I wonder even... how much of that emotional depth is like from this book, and how much of it is just kind of riding on Lightning Thief's coattails. I mean, you have to ride on your coattails for a series like this, kind of. You, I like... mean, you have to like build on what you've already done, but like, especially for some for like Annabeth. I don't feel like this book's given her enough of its own development for uh, her no. emotional arc to really stand on its own. No, not at all. Uh, I, I, I'm really sad about 
I wish this book was better. Yeah. I I'm worried about the future of our of our of our podcast. I mean, you you say that you sent me a message on Discord the other day that you were excited for this series to get worse. (laughs) Well, I am because I also think we'd have more to talk about. Absolutely, because right now we're at this middle ground where I just feel like there's almost nothing to talk about in this in this book. Yeah, we're in the middle ground where we're just like making basic literature criticisms, and like there's not especially anything funny, good, or funny bad for us to even riff on. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, part of the... uh, And I like sitting here with my friend Jane and talking about, you know, literary criticism. Absolutely. And making basic points about quality. (laughs) But I think that... I don't know, it feels so bare-bones. Do you want to talk about the ending? Let's talk about the ending. Let's let's be positive. Yeah, I wanted... This is how... I think we should end on the the ending, because it's, it's a good ending. It absolutely is. So, uh, Percy, uh, basically, the the brace yourself messages from Poseidon come to a head. He's woken up from his dream, uh, and he gets to the. It, it's really well described, or it's. Mm-hmm. I feel like I keep calling things well described, which just feels like such a five year old way of. Like, talking about a well-written book. I mean, but but, yeah, that is something that Rick is consistently good at, even in this book, which is not very good. Yeah, what's good is that we, like, we get the moment of suspense that, like, maybe Annabeth has been hurt because, Mm -hmm. like, Grover is like, Annabeth, she, you know, and Percy gets that, like, like, panic, and we get, like, the whole mood, because the whole mood shifted after Clarice put the fleece back on. Uh, like, and that's another really good point of the story is when like you see the camp and it's just like the life is being breathed back into it. I really like that. That is a really good scene, yeah. But in this specific ending, it feels like time is like standing still, and Percy goes to Half Blood Hill and sees that uh, Annabeth is standing over Thalia, who is alive again. Mm-hmm. And so, what do you think of this? This ending, like, works on so many levels. Yeah. Like, on its own, it's like it's a twist that makes sense. It's, like, something that, like we talked about before, we care about because so many of our characters are invested in Talia. And I also love, like, the background, like, almost characterization we get for the villains from this ending. Yeah. We ha- we've got some real ambiguity here about, like, is Luke really that bad? Because... You know, clearly he knew this was going to happen. But did he do it because he wanted Talia to be back to life? Or did he do it because Kronos wanted another chess piece? And I also, like... This this ending has convinced me that Kronos is worthy of, like, the title The Crooked One. Like, I'm fully on board with him being, like, an evil genius master manipulator now. Because when, like, you think back to the plot of this book and the way his plan has gone... He has like set up this scenario where there was no way for him to lose. Like either the tree dies and Camp Half Blood gets overrun by monsters, or the tree gets healed and he gets another person for the prophecy to use. Like as soon as he poisoned the tree, he'd won either way. Right. The this is a really can we've what has happened is that this book wasn't so great, but what it was was a good stepping point to the rest of the series because Absolutely. it established the villain. Kronos was kind of nothing but a voice in a pit before who was kind of manipulative. This is a lot more interesting of a manipulation to me. Yeah, Ares was kind of like, he was the main antagonist of the first book. And then Kronos was like this kind of shadowy figure pulling the strings in the background. Right, because it's the same basic formula of, like, Luke does something to spark a whole conflict that is ultimately, like, uh, Kronos' big plan. It's mm-hmm. it's very similar, but the way that, like, it's executed not better here, but it's executed differently, so that Kronos is now what I would call, like, a very believable mastermind type. We, we can see, like, more clearly how this would directly benefit Kronos. Yeah. Because before it was just cause a war, rocks fall, everyone dies. Right, right. Whereas this This is is like... This is securing long-term assets. 
Absolutely. I'm excited for Thalia. I I definitely am. Because, like, um, Annabeth was foreshadowing earlier in this book, oh, you're either going to be best friends with her, or you are going to hate her guts. Yeah. And I'm interested to see, like, how that relationship develops. I definitely want to see, like, someone who's very similar to Percy, like, Mm -hmm. interacting with him, because we haven't had a character like that necessarily. We've had a lot of, like, kind of foils who are in that, but I want to see kind of more of a direct... I just want to see them interact. I want to see her interact with everyone. I like I like new characters. I like when new characters happen in these kind of books. Yeah, Percy is kind of he's in this unique position of being like the only person who seems perpetually like tired and done with the gods' bullshit. Right, right. I want another person who is just completely done with it all. Yeah, I can definitely see how like I can definitely see how Annabeth got to like oh, okay, this is either someone for Percy to relate to and, like, riff with about how much they hate their parents, or they're going to find each other's snarky remarks irritating and beat each other's throats all the time. I wonder if Percy would have been a goth punk in another time. <laughs> I, envisioning it. I don't know, he, he skateboards and he basketballs. I feel like he's, he's into too many mainstream hobbies to be a goth punk kid. Yeah, but if he had been set, like, a, like you know couple decades before or whatever when no no i'm getting in you've confused me about where when Talia is from. <laughs> <laughs> you're the worst uh i love you jane you're the best thank uh, you but likewise but but like i think that like you know maybe set him back a little bit longer before skateboarding was mainstream i could i could see him and thalia hanging out at the skate park is this the, your new fanfic project you're going to write this now? Yeah, it's uh, Trans Girl Percy, also Trans Girl Thalia. Obviously. They're both at the skate park. Uh, they're talking how much they hate their dads. This is a this is a human AU where like, everybody is just a regular, regular mor- mortal. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, as much as I say, like, wow, very good ending... Uh, and th- it's very good because it ends on like that note of like I am Thalia. The girl said, "Daughter." She doesn't say it like that. She's like, I, I, "No, that I is mean, literally she, what she says. That is I mean, word for do- word." She does literally there. say, "I am Thalia, daughter of Zeus," but I doubt she says like like Wonder Woman. You know what I mean? Like I am Wonder Woman. She's like, you know, yeah. Uh, but uh, it's also if you like. It's a good. I like this cliffhanger. I always kind of feel weird about books that end on cliffhangers. I am perfectly fine with books that end on cliffhangers if the rest of the series is already out. I guess that's true. <laughs> uh, if if I, you are writing a series that I am currently reading and you end a book on a cliffhanger, you are the scum of the earth. Yes. If, uh, if you have already written the series, then that's completely understandable. I can see why you did that. Absolutely, absolutely. I, I can't, I can't disagree here. Uh, so Jane, do you have any, do you have anything else before we wrap up? I uh, was looking to deploy a funny little game to play this week. Uh huh. Just like your favorite Jigsaw villain from Saw Two, a movie you recently watched, if I remember correctly. Wow, you know so much about me. We should be friends. <laughs> that would be lovely. Yeah. Uh, which is, uh... Uh, I have returned to uh dare i say our sacred text yes um, percy jackson the movie.com yes absolutely the site that wants so badly for there to be a movie about percy jackson doing gambling linked officially on the percy jackson the sea of monsters twitter account for some reason right why is there a sea <laughs> of monsters twitter account whatever uh <laughs> but, but what what is this game that you have for me the game that I am setting before you is uh, there are a selection of pitches for um, Percy Jackson gambling movies on this website. And I, I am going to pick okay. three of these uh, interesting and well-written pitches and pair them up with ones that I have written myself. Uh, and I would like you, Jacqueline, to see if you can figure out which is which, which one was written by me and which one is a real pitch from this real website. Okay, I will do my best. All right, good luck. Okay. So, 
Pitch one. Percy and his friends must engage in a high-stakes chariot race, gambling to try and win the sacred stone held by the warriors of Kronos. Okay. Or, Percy Jackson must take on an opponent in a high-stakes poker game to win control over the valuable pearls of Persephone. Uh-huh. Those are your first two. What do you What do you think? What What are your thoughts? Uh, the one that is real is the second one. I... I, I'm certain of this because the Pearls of Persephone were an element that was introduced in the first movie. <laughs> and so I think that the, the movie knowledge that is what th- this writer is operating off of, uh, or at least the premise that this operator is writing off of, would result in that. I see. So you're, you're assuming that the, the writer of this website is not a Percy Jackson super fan. They are someone who read the Wikipedia page, saw that it was a movie franchise for children, and thought, we could put gambling in this. I, I'm, I'm doing the sign of the cross. I don't want to say anything blasphemous about this website, but <laughs> I will let, I will, I will let our listeners draw their own implications. Uh, let's see. Percy must engage in a high-stakes battle of wits with a slippery cyclops who has recently arrived at Camp Halfblood, who he suspects is cheating at dice with the other campers. Uh huh. With previous minor villain Mrs. Dodds mediating. Percy will do battle on the porch of the big house. He will go to extreme lengths to expose the cheater, from stabbing himself in the hand to prove his resolve, to ignoring a raging fire set in the big house itself. Uh-huh. Uh, let's see, uh, proposal number two. A casino is overtaken by the mob. Uh-huh. Percy Jackson goes to work defending the innocent, and saving civilians before they are swept up in the thievery, lies, and life-threatening danger at the hands of the mobsters in charge. Right. <laughs> okay. The second one has got to be real. Because I don't think they ever said the big house in the movies. I think that's something hmm. you wrote. You think that I'm the Percy Jackson super fan? I think that you're the Percy Jackson super fan. That might be the mystery wrapped up at the center of this game. Oh, be careful. All right. Uh, final one. Final round. Okay. If you win this, you get $50,000 in poker chips. Wow. Percy's friend's souls are stolen by a mysterious agent of Kronos, who challenges Percy to a high-stakes game of poker in order to try and win them back. Uh To do so, Percy will have to wager his own soul, those of his remaining friends, and even his mother. But that's not all. If Percy can win, he can force this person to tell him where to find Kronos, and the secret to his power. Uh Uh-huh. Or, an evil villain chooses a Las Vegas casino and its machines to hide his treasure, and Percy Jackson must navigate the casino to uncover the treasure. See, <laughs> the problem you've, the problem you're having with uh-huh. writing these is that you're you don't understand the basic uh, idea of this website, which is that they're trying to sell casinos to children. <laughs> And so, <laughs> what's cooler than going into a casino to find treasure? And that's the real one. Damn, you've got me. Did I did I get all of them right? You did indeed get all of them correct. So what you're saying is, the the movie pictures that I've written are in fact very cool and sound fun. Yours are not exploitative enough. Well, jokes on you, Jacqueline. Uh-huh. The joke's on you because uh, all of all of the summaries that I came up with were just scenes from JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. Really? Wait. This entire game was just a way for me Wait. to pester you to watch more JoJo's Bizarre Adventure no. with me. No. <laughs> no. I am the crooked one now. Oh, we gotta say that. Good. Thank you, everyone, for listening. To <laughs> it's been very fun. Uh, if you want to talk to us, if you want to send us questions or comments, you can at unwisegirlspod at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at unwisegirls. 
Oh, Jesus Christ, Jane. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> you can... If you want to reach us, you can do that where we said before. And we have a link to our Discord server on our Twitter. And uh, you can support us, download our episodes, leave a rating or review, Patreon. Uh, for a dollar a month, special on Discord, marking you as a camp counselor for $3 a month, special role as a friend of Dionysus. And also you get to access our bonus content. Uh, this week, on our last episode, we talked about... Uh, I never remember to look. I always forget. It's okay. We... I got the I got the Patreon open already because I remembered to. Did we do a bonus patrons. episode? We did. Okay. We did. Uh, the production of it was just weird because uh, let me see. Let, let me, uh, right, we uh, did we an episode. To, we talked about uh, let's see, anti-vaxxer Lego YouTubers, uh, puppet ass. Uh, and bizarre NSFW mods for our favorite games. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and for five dollars a month, you can get all of that lovely stuff. Uh, a special, <laughs> the specialist role as Aphrodite's chosen, and uh, you get a special shout out at the end of our episodes. Speaking of which, uh, this week we'd like to thank uh, Mercy, Veronica, friend. And Erica, who keeps forgetting to edit her name on Patreon. Ah, <laughs> oh, thank you, everyone. You are all a blessing. And as we always wait, Jane, do you want to decide on air? Are we gonna watch the Sea of Monsters movie next week? Oh shit, we have to. Do we have to? Actually. I'm not sure if we have to, because one of the things I'd heard about the Sea of Monsters movie was that it tried to cram in a lot of stuff from the later books. So, do I want those potentially good plot developments ruined by a shit movie? Right. I'm... I, I guess we'll have to like we'll have to look into. Excuse me. We'll have to look into what's in the movie and decide if we want to watch it now or if we want to maybe save it for later. Hmm. I. Let's not watch it yet. We'll, we'll make no solid commitment at this point. Let's not watch it yet. Okay. So next week we'll be starting Percy Jackson and the Titans Curse. Next week we'll be starting Percy Jackson and the Titans Curse, everyone. Or maybe we'll do something else, who knows. <laughs> uh, thank you, We'll do what we've for... always been threatening to do and turn into just another Harry Potter reread podcast. We'll, we'll do what we're always threatening to do and turn into an actual play podcast. <laughs> Ah, uh, and as we always say, at the end of every single episode... See you next week, Camp Half-Blood. See you next week, Camp Half-Blood. Bye. Bye-bye.